it also just helps knowing that whatever the market correction is and whatever the news is sort of yelling about this week or this month about what's going on, it's normal. We're going to see these. It'll get better. It'll be good for a while and then it'll get bad again. And that's just that's how it goes. Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. Hi, Colleen. How are you? Good, thanks. Yourself? Very good. Thank you for coming in on the show. You're in Canada. We just confirmed that. Have you always been in Canada? Yes. Yes. I grew up in on the coast, on the west coast, and now I live in Alberta. Ah, nice. Can you share about your experience being, you know, wealth financial advisor? And I think you started in 2008, right? I did. Yes. I was very fortunate that quite soon after I finished post-secondary, I discovered how much I enjoy the wealth management side of the finance business versus the lending piece. Um, I also had the good timing or bad timing, depending on how you look at it, getting into it sort of right before that big crash of 2008 and the onset of the banking crisis. It was a steep learning curve, but it allowed me to have a really good understanding of what's really important when it comes to managing money, right? Like back then that was the worst sort of stock market or financial crisis we had seen since the great depression. So it was a lot of really hard conversations for the first couple of years in my career, um, but it was essential, I think, for the success I've had following. No doubt. So how has that experience, especially in the first couple of years, shaped your approach to financial planning and investment strategies? Well, it really quickly showed me that what people really care about is making sure that their money's still there so that they can do what they want to do. So I found the people that I worked with that I had inherited as I started as a young advisor um, that had documented goals or a financial plan weathered the storm like emotionally better than people that were just looking for rate of return. So very quickly after sort of the crisis was over, I spent a lot of my next few years getting my certified financial planning designation and focusing a lot on the behavioral side of finance. And I found that when I work with clients and put a heavy focus on the financial planning first, like what do you want this money to do for you? What's the goal? Do you want it for a vacation? Do you want it for retirement? Like what's the purpose? And let's make sure the money works hard for you as you worked to earn it and that helps you know people weather the continuous ups and downs that comes with being invested gotcha are there some examples you can share especially during the downturns when the markets are not doing that great how do you kind of manage that while preserving the capital maybe even increasing the value so that the clients can achieve what their purpose is it's twofold uh, the first one is, you know, I spend a lot of time on the education side when talking to clients. You know, market corrections and downturns are a normal part of the business cycle. We will see that forever. It's not going to go away. We'll never be able to make it perfect where it's always a smooth ride. So it's getting that understanding 
that it's a normal part of being invested, right? Just like all of us have within a year seasons to our year, right? We have parts of the year that are really busy, that things feel like they're going great. And then there's usually somewhere in the year where you're like, ugh, this is hard. This is not my favorite. But you know that it's just a season and you're going to get through it and come out the other side and you'll have learned something and something will be stronger and you will inevitably rinse and repeat. The market's no different. Businesses go through a, sp a cycle. You grow, you get a bunch of speed, you hire, and then something happens and you slow down and you have to take a step back and then you grow again. And that's the market cycle. To take advantage of that because timing it doesn't work. You're never going to be able to, over your lifetime, pick every bottom and pick every top. But if you automate and just do contributions on a monthly basis, you can dollar cost average those highs and lows. And over a 10 to 30 year period, that adds a lot of rate of return and allows you to take sort of a step back and zoomed out approach to your investing. Okay, for the listeners who might not be familiar with dollar cost average, can you explain that? So that is just a fancy way of saying automate your investing. So if you want to put $100 a month towards one of your goals, you make it so you don't have to think about it. You set up a program either electronically yourself or with your financial advisor that goes on whatever day of the month you choose. We'll say the 15th, I'm going to have 100 bucks come out of my checking account and go into my investment account and be automatically invested in the way that I have chosen. And then you never, you don't think about it again. When you go to do a portfolio review, ideally within a year, then you reassess and go, do I still want to put in that amount of money? Is it still in the right investment? Is it still meeting my needs? All those questions have to get answered again, but you don't have to remember each month to take money out of your checking account and move it into your investment account. Got it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the automatic contribution into index funds, especially because even Warren Buffett said, right, for a normal average investor, that's probably one of the best way to go about it because it's a self-cleansing process, especially if you invest in, let's say, S&P 500, the companies kind of self-cleanse. Like if it doesn't do well, it falls out of the index. To your point, you can't time the market. So then if you dollar cost average, you probably wouldn't be able to always get the bottom, but you also wouldn't get the top, right? So it's basically kind of a process that takes care of itself. So you're never going to get it perfect, but it allows you to get pretty close. And over a long period of time, that makes a huge difference. It also just helps knowing that whatever the market correction is and whatever the news is sort of yelling about this week or this month about what's going on, it's normal. We're going to see these. It'll get better. It'll be good for a while. And then it'll get bad again. And that's just, that's how it goes. So once you get past, that it's scary and that it's just a normal part of the market, it makes things a lot easier for people's blood pressure. I yeah. found it. Well said. My next question is what changes or trends have you seen over the decade and a half or so you were in this industry and have you adapted your strategies? Oh, absolutely. We've seen a huge improvement in the speed of technology, right? So 
the average consumer's access to the news and market commentary has gone through the roof in the last 15 years. So that's made markets in a lot of ways extremely efficient and has unfortunately added a lot of noise sometimes. But when it comes to sort of my career journey and what I do now with clients is I've noticed and I was really happy about it that the idea of picking a stock or picking a portfolio as someone who is not a CFA and spending all my time reading, you know, analyst reports is silly. And I don't do that anymore. Um, I work on the plan. Like, what do you, what do you want your financial world? What do you want your life to look like in five years? What do you want your life to look like in 10 years? Now, how do we build a strategy around your money to make those things happen. So that used to, I think, be a smaller part of my day-to-day job. And now that is the majority of my job. And I leave the individual investment choices to portfolio managers. And we worry about, or I worry about the portfolio manager or the overarching index and not about the individual equity or bond that is inside that portfolio. Gotcha. I would imagine also as a CF, sorry, what's the acronym? Certified Financial Planner, CFP. CFP, sorry, yeah. (laughs) There must be regulation updates in terms of what you can do or cannot do, what you can sort of sell to the clients, what you should avoid, that kind of thing. How do you stay current with those regulations? Oh, absolutely. So with all of our, so in Canada, I think the regulatory environment is slightly different than the U.S. Mm -hmm. So the way my licenses work, so I'm IROC licensed up here. I think the equivalent is an IRA, no, registered rep down in the States. Sorry, I don't know all the terminology. Um, So we have a certain amount of mandated continuing education courses and credits you have to do in order to stay current. But a big part of what I do is it's just continuously reading and learning, right? So the regulators, whether that's the Certified Financial Planning Board or the compliance side from an investment standpoint, are continuously giving us courses, newsletters, articles, um, all kinds of updates that allow us to stay current. I also think it's really important for myself personally is I like to read. So... I try and read both sides of all the arguments. So I want to hear just as many podcasts and articles from people that I disagree with as I do people I agree with, because then you see both sides, right? You always find that middle ground. And I also try and sit down and work with my new entrance colleagues that are been out of university, say maybe a year or two and are fairly new into the industry because they see things differently than I do, right? After doing it for 15 years, you get, you know, uh, a viewpoint that gets carved in a little bit more. We all do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just as important to sit down and talk to the people that have come before me that have been really successful and have been in the industry for 20 plus years as it is for me to sit down and have coffee or have lunch with the new person that's been doing it for a year or two because they come with a fresh set of ideas 
and a viewpoint that I may not have recognized. Yeah, that's a great approach, by the way, to listen to both sides. I feel like not enough people do that nowadays. Maybe this is a digression, and let me know if it is. You mentioned stocks, right, and bonds. I would assume index funds, etc. But are you allowed to advise on alternative investments? And I think you know where I'm going with this, right? Because nowadays, especially, there are these alternative investments like cryptocurrency, for example. Are you in that at all, or no? It depends, right? Like I am a huge proponent of the investment doesn't come first. The purpose comes first, right? So for some of the alternative investments that are definitely considered higher risk, there's always a sleeve in lots of my clients' portfolio. I call it their Vegas money, right? <laughs> so if if you're willing to go to Vegas and whatever your budget is to gamble with, you're okay with it going to zero. That's what we can use for some of the really cutting edge tech. Or the、uh, investments that are really up and coming. For me, I am a huge. Maybe it's because I've been doing this for too long. Proponent on. I look at the regulatory side quite heavily, and where I get nervous is with some of the new stuff that's coming out. That they are getting caught now, a couple of years in, that they weren't paying attention or didn't have to be as heavily regulated, and that can really burn people. I've always. Been a big believer in. I have to understand how something is going to make money before I have, in good conscience, the ability to recommend it. So, just because it's popular, doesn't mean it's the right choice for everyone. Doesn't mean it's not the right choice. But it is understanding what are the true risks. Right? It could everything at some point could go to zero. And you have to be okay with that and acknowledge that it is a risk. Nothing's risk-free. Doesn't matter if it's cash, right? Your risk with cash is you don't keep up with inflation.、Mm-hmm. Your risk with some of these alternatives are it could be gone in a year, and sometimes that's a completely acceptable risk, and then it's fine. But it's making sure that myself, as the advisor that's being asked to give an opinion, I have to know. What all the risks are, or I won't give an opinion,、um, and the person on the other side has to truly understand them.、Yeah. Uh, just because it makes a good, you know, news story doesn't mean it's always the best long-term choice. Yep, that's a good answer. So I think you mentioned that you are more focused on building the plan for your customers now, less so on the maybe. Analysis of securities, but do you still maybe have like a focus area, for example, certain industries and whatnot that you would be most comfortable giving advice on, or not really? No, we we know now from portfolio construction over time that you know higher level asset allocation. When you're looking at investing over a thirty year span, your asset allocation. Is going to matter more than any one individual company. So I focus more on the portfolio manager. So who is making those choices, and what are they focusing on? Because their whole role, a hundred percent of their day, is spent analyzing: should the European sleeve be more heavily focused in one sector or another? 
what's the U.S. market expected to do over the next 12, 24 months? Are we concerned about an upcoming election or not? And they're going to make those choices because that's 100% of their focus and their day. It's not mine. And I don't think I'm doing clients a service by saying, by being confident enough or truly overconfident in saying that I can do that. If I was going to be doing that, I can't answer the phone when they need money to take money out to go buy their dream car or go on that holiday. I have to be in meetings with CEOs all day, every day. Yeah, makes sense. So can you maybe describe the process of how you typically help a client, like from the start, how to understand their goals and how to simplify for yourself so that you can come up with a plan for them? Yeah, sure. So we have, you know, the first meeting is usually, you know, an hour. And we spend a lot of that time talking about what does financial planning look like. I do a quick, you know, 20 minute sort of overview of what I do, what my role is, and what, you know, what defines financial planning, right? So there's the disciplines of cash flow management, estate, risk management, asset allocation, so on. Um, and then we talk about where where do they want to go in the next couple of years? So depending on their age and the stage of life that they're in, right, it's what's coming up for you. What do you want to do in the next five years? When do you want to retire? And I'm finding more often people don't necessarily want to get out of the workforce, like Freedom 55 or even the FIRE movement has changed over the last couple of years, where it's, I just want to do something less stressful that I'm doing today. So when do you want to have that day where you go to work because you want to, no longer because you have to? And so we talk a lot about that. I have a one-page sheet, if there's a couple in my office, where I give it to them individually. I call it the goals and concerns sheet. It's got some high-level things on there for major goals that we see most commonly, like when do you want to retire? Um, is education for your children important to you? What do you want your legacy to look like? And they rank some of these high-level items out of you know one to ten for what's most important to them. And then we drill down and sort of pick a rough date. So if someone says, I want to retire when I'm 62, we start there. I always pick, I want everyone to have like a long-term and a short-term goal especially when you're starting out in financial planning or in in sort of investing and looking at it from a goals-based approach is to have kind of a short-term win. So what do you want to do in the next 12 to 18 months that's going to take more than two months for you to save for? Right? Is that a great big vacation? Is that a wedding? Is that a down payment on a house? Like Whatever that thing is, we build a goal and a plan around that. And at the same time, we're picking that longer term, usually retirement, or saving for your kid's post-secondary education and, and building a plan around that. It's not going to be as granular or detailed because when you're 30, planning for retirement is still a really long ways away and it's not going to be perfect. It's going to move a whole bunch between that first meeting and when you actually do it, but it gives us a start and a framework to always go back to. A plan's never one and done. 
if anybody ever hands you a financial plan and is like, okay, you're all set, see you. That's not, that's not a financial plan. It's a living document. It's your financial life. Your money is there to help you do the things you want to do it. The things you want to do when you want to do it with the people you want to do it. Um, so that's, it's never one and done. A couple of things I want to follow up on based on what you were just talking about. First one is fire movement. So for those of us who haven't heard about fire, can you explain that? So basically it's this idea of you save a whole bunch early in your working career so that you can retire at 35 or 40. Yep. That was the original sort of premise around it. Yep. So FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Yeah, no, I, I've i definitely heard a lot about that. It's very interesting, but I think the evolving thinking is a lot of people thought they want to retire, but then what are you going to do, right, once you're in retirement? So I heard there's another phrase now called FINE, Financial Independence Next Endeavor. Yes. But to your point, you mentioned some clients just want to have the opportunity to work on something less stressful, maybe something more interesting to them so they don't have to work for the sake of working to make money. I think that's a great movement, to be honest. I feel like people need that because you don't want to be a slave to money, right? You don't want to live to work. You should work to live. Absolutely. And we don't do well as people without feeling like we have a purpose. Yep, exactly. So having that point where you're like, now I don't have to go to the office if I don't want to. Yep. Just provides people a lot of mental freedom yep. to make different choices if they want to. And then the next question I had was, how do you usually get your clients? Like, what's that process usually like? Um, so I do a lot of referral business where I work with, you know, the family members of people I've already got relationships with or their friends that have, are in a similar situation. Um, I've been able to sort of gain a reputation in my local area for getting quite good at uh, helping people with major life transitions. So we had a few years ago a fairly significant economic downturn in Alberta in the oil and gas sector. So I got very good at, unfortunately, looking at and helping people with their severance packages and when they get laid off. Um, so I work a lot now with people that have had or have an upcoming major life change. So that is the loss of a job and looking at their, you know, severance package and what do we do with it? Is it, you know, making sure they've been consulting their proper experts and how do we integrate that into their plan? Um, if you are a couple of years away from retirement and figuring out how to make the cash flow work from all the different sources of income that they may have. I'm not sure what it's like in the US, but here we have two, you know, built in government retirement income streams. So it's integrating that with all of their other investments so that their cash flow is as tax efficient as humanly possible when they do enter retirement. Or, you know, the other one that I see, unfortunately, is, you know, if there's been a death or a loss of a spouse, is helping that uh, surviving spouse get a handle on their finances and understand what, you know, the immediate and then medium term challenges could be for them and helping them, you know, work through that process. So have you seen kind of a shift of 
the composition of the clientele in the last couple of years? Yeah, I would say that there's becoming more of a focus on people asking more of their advisor, and I think they should be. I think that's great. Um, I think there's starting to be more education and understanding around what should the advice look like. I know in Canada anyways, we've had some really great strides towards better fee transparency for how it is like folks like myself get compensated for helping people with their finances. And I think those are great, great movements uh, to help people understand, you know, what questions they should be asking, what the differences are between one financial advisor, financial planner, and another. Um, so that level of education has been really, really good, I think, over the last five, ten years. I've also, I think more because of a personal shift in focus, I really emphasize the importance of having a financial plan and having, you know, documented goals that we're working towards we can't control the market i can't control the politics i can't control the economy i don't have that sort of leverage most of us don't so you know but we can control things like is your cash flow working are you spending less than you're making are we designating those hard-earned dollars into the right buckets for the right things so you can spend it at the time that you want to those are things that we have control over so it's maximizing the pieces that we can control to minimize the things that we can't. Gotcha. By the way, how are you compensated if that's okay to share? So here, so in Canada, we don't have as big of a fee for service model as there is in the States. So for my position in my role at my firm, so I can only speak for mine, is we are, I'm compensated for assets under management. So I break out the advisory fee separately. So depending on the household's balance, you're charged a percentage for advisory fee. As the household gets bigger, the percentage of the fee goes down, right? Because math. Um, so that's how we do it, or that's how my firm does it here is it's all based on assets under management, but it's householded, it's not per account. The nice thing is, is we are able to do three generations, um, which is really helpful so that the kids and the grandkids get to have specialized tailored advice at a price point that is a little more affordable. Gotcha. And it sounds like it's only individual clients, right? Because you mentioned households. So basically you're not advising institutions or anything like that we can like there are firms that do i specialize in families okay. including incorporated and small business but i like dealing with you know generational wealth and business owners of how they are going to transition their legacy to the next generation is where i've spent a lot of my time can you share maybe a success story of how you helped a certain family successfully do generation transfers or planning? Oh, it's great. That's the best part of my job is a lot of times now I've got multiple generations. So um, a few years ago, I had the good fortune of someone called me 
we had to make some changes to their portfolio and they let me know they had just gotten engaged. They're like, don't, don't tell mom and dad, we haven't told them yet. We're getting together next weekend. Um, so now I get to be a part of the really fun things, right? So the goal, you know, we've had lots of people where they were saving for their kids to go to post-secondary. They finished their post-secondary and I get to see the grad photos of high school and then of university and then, you know, grandkids coming along or having, you know, the hard conversations for years of what do they want their legacy to look like? How do they want that to transition to the next generation? And then sort of being there to help hold the hands of that next generation when it does take place, you know, like it's hard, but then the money's being spent and being used on the things that they really wanted it to. So it brings a lot of joy and freedom to the families because, you know, they knew what the wishes were. It was set up in such a way that they understood that in advance. And then, you know, it rolled out as seamlessly as it can. It's never easy. It's never fun. But, you know, I much prefer the graduations and the wedding announcements. But don't we all? <laughs> don't we all have to deal with the inevitable of life, right? It kind of reminds me, you mentioned previously that you have a lot of clients through word of mouth and your reputation in this area and then just now you mentioned that you help families so i could imagine that there's a lot of long-term relationships going on so can you describe your approach to that i think it's just about understanding that money is just a tool it's no different than a computer it's no different than i don't know any other kitchen appliance right if you take away the emotion that we all have tied to money and look at it as this is just a this is just a bank account this is just a tool to do the things that i want to do it helps so that's why i'm able to spend a lot of time to find out what's the what's the emotional reason for this money we talk a lot in our meetings over the years about where did you get your money story from what was you know how did your parents how did you learn about money how was it talked about around your kitchen table? Because that has a lot of, you know, impact on how we manage money as adults. Yeah. You might not think it does, but it does. And having people talk about how they view money. Because if you can, especially with couples, everybody views money a little differently. Money means different things to different people. So for one person, money means safety. And for the other person, it means fun. Well, there might be conflict there because one person wants to save it and the other person wants to spend it. So when I talk to people and we have a chance in our meetings to discuss that, sometimes it's the first time they've sort of even thought of it that way. And it's, I've been told it helps decrease how many unhappy at-home conversations about money there is. Which is huge because money is a big reason for businesses failing, for relationships failing, right? So if we can talk about it in a way that doesn't get everybody all fired up, that just helps everybody all the time. So I think that's been key. I also like to keep track of when important things come up for people, right? So we celebrate that last mortgage payment and you get to tear up those mortgage documents. That's huge. And that's a huge 
accomplishment and should be celebrated. That day where I get to have the meeting and go, you can, you don't want to go to work tomorrow. Don't go to work tomorrow. Like you're good. You can quit if you want to quit. Like those are days that should be celebrated to me, in my opinion, the same way we celebrate, you know, a milestone birthday or that wedding, right? Those are big accomplishments that took a lot of hard work. Um, so I try and put a lot of emphasis on it took a lot of effort and time for you to be able to save this money and do these things. You should be really proud of that because we should be. If you can save up and pay cash for a car, that's hard. Yes. That's like there's a lot of other fun things that you passed up on to be able to not have a car payment. And that deserves to be like recognized. I don't know. That's the fun stuff for me. Speaking of fun, right? You have been in this industry for 15 years. What advice would you give to people who want to start in a similar industry as you? If you want to start it as an advisor? Yeah. Like financial advisor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great gig. <laughs> it is an awesome career choice. You have to love people. I think that that is the key um, because money's very emotionally tied. So it's having that ability to be empathetic and understand where someone else is sitting from, you know, an emotional standpoint, but have the ability to look at things logically. If it's something that you think you enjoy, start in and you want to take like a baby step into it, start working for a financial institution, whether that's on the lending side or the wealth side, it'll give you a chance to have those interactions with people and have those money conversations right from day one. And a lot of times still give you, you know, a secure paycheck and a salary until you want to jump in and start it as your own, as your own business. Another way that lots of people have had success starting out is finding a firm that you think is doing an awesome job and be an assistant to an advisor and learn from them and learn, you know, what you would do the same, what you would do differently. And just talk to people, ask lots of questions. That is sort of the best way because as you know, the industry moves and there's so many changes between tax regulations and investment rules and just the economy and culture and how all of us view money. It's what it's what my job's going to be in 20 years or 10 years is not going to be the same as it is today. So you need to be able to roll with those punches and be okay with the fact that what you do on day one will not be the same year five great advice so you're affiliated with the firm right a wealth management firm yes how large is the firm so ig wealth management is the largest independent dealer in canada outside of our big five banks uh, okay cool, cool and i think that's really important because if like right now i've got a team of myself and one other person But if something happened to me, I got hit by a bus, I guess, then there's, you know, all these other people associated with IG that could step in and help my clients. They wouldn't be left going like, well, now where's my money? What just happened? 
Um, so for me, it's a security thing for my clients to make sure that there's, you know, a big backstop and compliance behind me so that their dollars are always safe. Gotcha. Do you have a recommendation of a book that can educate people about financial planning? Um, Psychology of Money is a great one for basics of financial planning and how all of us sort of mentally see money and how to set good goals that you don't end up feeling really discouraged about. Um, from a financial planning standpoint, it's really technical, but kitsis.com, he's got some really great resources for, you know, what should you look for for a financial planner. In the U.S., you guys have some really great options for fee-for-service models. But if you're starting out and a new investor, I think is a great way to get into the financial planning side as a consumer and starting to set your goals is use a fee-for-service type model where you can try different people out and know that it's mostly a personality fit. Right? Like I have clients that I've had for my whole 15 years. You have to want to go to that meeting yeah, and have a conversation with the person on the other side of the desk. So if you don't like your advisor, get a new one. <laughs> it's okay. It is, you know, it, it's going to change. And just know that my best clients are the ones that ask lots of questions. Yeah. You have one retirement. I've seen thousands mm -hmm. over the years of helping other advisors. So, you know, ask all the questions, even if you think it's a dumb question. No, that's great. All right. So before I let you go, where can people find more about you? LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me where I put the most amount of content. Um, I will have my website is being refreshed and judwealth.ca will be up and running sometime next week. I'm hoping just had the last look yesterday. So we should see that go live here any day. Okay, great. By the time the show comes out, it should be ready. I'll Excellent. link to the show notes. Thank you. All right, great. Thank you so much, Colleen. This has been very interesting. I definitely appreciate your time. Thank you.